This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is podcast episode number 68. We're glad you're joining us today. We're doing it on a Wednesday, April 5th, and it's brought to us, of course, by the great people at Bet Rivers. And I remind you every week, download that Bet Rivers app if you want to make some money. You got the Masters this weekend. Great event to bet on because I love to bet on like the top finishers, like the one to five, like a safe bet instead of pick because I can't pick a winner. I really can't. I mean, who who can tell who's going to uh, win the freaking Masters? But if you like win place and show it, then you can win some money. And to do that, you get to get Bet Rivers app. They're fantastic, and they sponsor our podcast, and we're glad that they do. All right, so this is going to be called uh, Comedy Day. Um, we're not going to really touch on Philadelphia sports today. We're going to have two great comedians. Of course, Nikki Glaser is blowing up all over the world. She is uh, like a great friend, and, and she – Came on the, the, the Mike Missanelli radio show early on, uh, like, you know, several years ago. And we've maintained a relationship. And uh, she is coming on the podcast today. And also, uh, Jay Black, who uh, is from this area and also a very well-known comedian. He's been on Letterman and Kimmel. And uh, he's done a movie. And, uh, you know, he's a proud graduate uh, of, um, what is it? Is it Shawnee, Darren, or is it Cherokee? He's at Cherokee, but he, but he taught it, Shawnee. He teaches at the Hate the Face School. We hate him. We hate Shawnee. He teaches at Shawnee. Okay. All right. I got to get to see. I, I get those, those schools confused all the time. And then there's Lenape. It like messes with my head. Nobody likes Shawnee. Shawnee's just a really just rotten. rotten all right. Well, anyway, Jay, Jay Black's going to join us uh, and Nikki Glazier today. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And then a little later on Mike Unleashed. Because apparently I got myself in some hot water this week on Twitter, and I was mentioned on Crossing Broad, and I got you know all I am is is a guy who's like, gives an honest opinion about something, and and uh, it, what I found out what the fascinating dynamic of this is that when you dare offer any kind of opinion that somewhat somewhat I mean criticizes a player. Like these, these fanboys rise up. It's like, oh my god! And I start thinking about uh, Bronx Tale, where uh, Robert De Niro says to C, yeah, yeah, "Mickey Mantle never did anything for you." So, like these guys aren't sending you any Christmas cards. So I think it's fair game to criticize it. But they, but it's like 
oh my God, oh, criticize the precious athlete. He's a member of my family. Well, okay, I get it. I understand the dynamic, but I'm going to talk about what happened this week with Darius Slatt. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's the Mike Missanelli podcast. And today we have a really special guest. Now, uh, Nikki Glazer appeared many times graciously on my radio show, the Mike Missanelli show. We've uh, been able to to get her to come on the podcast, and it is a special day. Uh, Nikki Glazer, how you doing? I'm so good. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. And uh, first of all, let, let's tell the people here, because you know we're Philadelphia-oriented, so Bethlehem's not that far. Right. April 14th, mm-hmm. Nikki Glazer at the Wind Creek Event Center in Bethlehem. Yes, I've always wanted to play the Wind Creek. Um, that's a lie. I, I don't. It's the first time I've heard the name of the venue, but it sounds like a nice place. And um, and I love performing in the Philly area. I it's uh, if I think if I could live anywhere and um, have all my friends in the city is with me as well and family, I'd pick Philadelphia. I think it's the it's my favorite city. That that's that's so cool. And what what is it specially that you like about Philadelphia? I, it's just um, the the history of it. You feel like you're walking on streets that look the, kind of the same as they were when it was settled and there's just um there's just that east coast vibe but it's not overwhelming like new york it feels like mostly clean the people are always been really nice to me there i don't know i just always have such a good time i i came up doing the the punchline there and i loved it and i just always the food i don't know i don't know what it is there's just a vibe every time i get there where i say this is where I'd want to live. It's a very underrated city, and I'm glad you said that. So, yeah. uh, so now in Bethlehem, man, I'm, I'm taking a shot here because uh, I've heard you. Do, are you going to do the fracking joke up there? Because I think I think they do some fracking. Is there a lot of fracking in Bethlehem? I think they oh. do some fracking up that way. So, yeah, I compared um, when guys finger you too harshly and just are like, you know, stabbing you. I was like, is that called fracking? I think that's the the joke. I was like, is that what it is? I know it. Um, I, I forget what I said it like, I, f- I forget the joke, but, um, so no, I won't be doing it because I, every time I do a special, I kind of dump that material and I truly don't even remember it afterwards. It's so <laughs> strange. I will be quoted to myself uh, often and I will have no idea what people are talking about. And then they'll tell me the joke and I go, well, that's pretty good. There's, it's always a good sign when you hear back your own. Yeah. thing and you go oh that's funny does that ever happen where someone will quote you and you go okay i see why you hang out with me i'm pretty pretty funny yeah i, I do it all the time i don't realize how funny i yeah. am and i happen to be hysterical in, in, in the end yeah uh, i think that most of us have like this um imposter syndrome thing going on where we're like we don't know how we got this far everyone is fooled by us but then you kind of see your you know sometimes you catch yourself a glimpse of yourself in the mirror or something you're like who's that and then you realize it's you and you're like ugh, gross like you know (laughs) it's just like when it's someone else i like it when it's me i'm like not good enough yeah so so for the people now here's the thing we have warned uh, children that they shouldn't listen to this podcast because it's going to get bawdy and that's cool and the fracking thing is as you yeah well you brought it there i wasn't even going to bring up fingering um in a harsh yeah well manner. because you know the fracking thing connected with me because of the bethlehem thing and yes, of course the fracking yes. is the hand manipulation of of the vag now yeah. uh, again this is like uh, not fcc <laughs> regulated so we can say anything we want here yeah they're not with, with, cut their mitts off this which thing is, uh-huh. which is cool all right so uh it so, is. so catch me up now uh, with, with your with your life, uh, your tours are like just uh, tireless. They they go on forever. How long have you been on the road? Uh, right now, where are you these days? I've been on the road 
for 20 years, I feel like. I mean, I started doing stand-up in 2003, so it's it's the thing is about tours, people go, oh, she's a, you're on a tour right now and there's a name for it. What people don't know is it never ends. The only thing that changed, people just, it's all marketing. When you read about a tour, you know, Taylor Swift, she goes on tour and it's like, that's the tour and that's a beginning and end. But comedians, they name their tours. We're, we never stop. We don't take weekends off. If we do, it's like our best friend's getting married and we wish she weren't because we want to be working because um, it just never ends. So th- the tour that I'm on currently, I mean, I guess it kind of started um, in November. I had a vocal cord surgery, so I had to take a month off of doing uh, of talking at all. And so I kind of cleaved my tour, I guess, in, in that October I took off. But um, it's it's always like a, you know, the material is always like slowly developing and you're bringing stuff on from the last tour that didn't make it on the special and you're reworking it. And so it's an ever evolving thing. There's people that could have seen me in November and then they come see the show now. And it's it's a lot different because the material just has evolved. I, the only way that I generate material is not writing in my bedroom um, and performing for my stuffed animals. It's 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 on stage. So. It's constantly changing every single show. I pick up a new line or two or joke or two. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's relentless, but it's, it's what I chose and I I really like it. It's, it's not, it's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad gig. I mean, I'm getting to the point where I stay in so many hotels that I forget what my room number is, which never used to happen, but that's happening now where I'll just get back after a show and, and have, and go up to the floor and then I'll walk down the halls and I'll try every door with my key card and wait for the green light and then i just go back down and i go i don't remember where i am um so it's kind of getting like that so, so what, do, what do you do all that for all that time on the road what do you do well, what do you do like it oh there's nothing to do people i wish i could tell people i like to go sightseeing and i like to go taste the local cuisine but i i fly in the day of so i land hopefully by two o'clock and then i go to the hotel and i have maybe an hour to nap because I like to kind of have a reset button and then I like to you know walk on a treadmill get my uh you know heart rate up and then I get ready and go to the show and then the show goes until midnight and I go home and I sleep and then I wake up in the morning and we hit the road to go to the next city so there's not much to be done on the road I'm not I mean I couldn't do it people that drink every night on the road and go out and party they they aren't long for this world let alone profession i don't think so i gotta be it's it's pretty boring i just like go home and jerk off and then <laughs> i go to sleep i mean i if, if you want to know exactly I, I mix in some masturbation here and there and that's a thing you can do on the road because you know i generally live with my partner and you can't get that done at home uh-huh. so that's a little road thing that i save for myself i eat in bed you know you do gross stuff i take baths <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. It's just stuff you do in hotel rooms. That's what I'm. That's what I'm up to. It's I'm up to no good. All right. So you, so you just, you just revealed that you live with your partner because I want to catch up on this. The last we we saw, like you, but, with the TV show, you were back with Chris, yes. and and then I heard it wasn't going on again. So tell us about the the, the relationships stuff. It's always up in the air. I got a Google alert last night for my name, and it was like, what is the deal with Nikki and her relationship? And it kind of, I think it was written by a bot or AI, but it really got it right. It was like they've been up and down for nine years, and uh, it it kind of followed the whole tumultuousness that it's been. Right now, um, we don't live together in St. Louis, but we both live in St. Louis. But um, he does a radio morning show here for four hours every morning, five to ten. So our schedules are just, like, not lined up. But when we do – and he also – produces tv shows on the side so we're both super busy 
but when we do have free nights, we, you know, stay together and, um, and then I'm gone every weekend. So it's not the best career for a, well, it is a good career for a relationship because you can't be around each other long enough to find anything wrong because every time you see each other, it's like new. So people go, Oh my God, you've been together so long. And I'm like, not really because a lo- you've been in long distance relationships before, at least once or twice as someone listening, they last way longer than a regular relationship because you're constantly missing each other. And then when you see each other, it's very exciting. And it's like this weekend and you don't really have time to fight. Um, we've scheduled, we've figured out a way to fight still <laughs> in that time, but it can prolong a relationship for so much longer. You've hit on the best recipe for a relationship. Because you're right. When people are around each other too much, they can't. They start picking little fights and little things annoy people. But when you're away, you're doing your thing. You're doing your and that, and you meet in the middle like an intersecting circle. Yes, and you know what? It's so strange. We've been together ten years, but I, and I was talking to my girlfriends about this. When you are away from your partner for a, like even a weekend and you see each other again, it, there's like this awkwardness to it where you're like, "Who are you? Like this is your face. This is what you sound like." There's like this newness to it. Uh, you kind of have to start over. Um, but it, and I was just saying yesterday, someone was asking about my relationship and I was like, I don't know how any comedian has one because there's just no time to do it. There's no consistency. But then I also said, I don't know how anyone who doesn't get to get away does it either. So I don't know that I'm really cut out for it. I just don't know. I'm a, I'm scared of commitment. So it actually is the perfect thing for me because it's never fully it never feels like we're fully in and that either of us could always flee. Uh-huh. All right. So so on that note, uh, is there a pact between you guys that you are exclusive even though you're away from each other? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that is, goes without saying. I mean, we don't, we, we've talked about, you know, our openness to maybe open things. Like I'm more, I'm into the idea of him with other people. I don't know that he's into the idea of me with other people. So it's something that kind of turns me on, but it's not even something he really wants to do. He's kind of happy just with uh-huh. me. Um, or, so, I mean, we're not like, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't, when I love someone, I don't want to be with anyone else. That's, oh. that's the good news. Um, it really, I think most women, when we are feeling seen and secure, we don't have a wandering eye. The second I feel slighted or I feel like I'm not getting enough attention or my partner doesn't really love me or understand me. I start kind of like, just, you know, my periphery opens up a bit uh-huh. and I start going, okay, you know, not that I'm, but you just start seeing things differently. And the second that my boyfriend texts me and is like, how was your day? I suddenly that's closed off again. So it's always a, about getting enough attention, feeling secure uh-huh. in my relationship. But I do feel that men, regardless of how secure they feel, they still, you know, like to entertain the the idea of new pussy, not, not consistent. Like I want to be in a relationship with someone else, but like, Oh, she's hot. Uh-huh. Like I caught, I, I caught my boyfriend the other night. We went to, um, uh, a baseball game and I, uh, I caught him like checking out some girls. I was checking them out. So it was kind of nice. Cause I was like, did you see that gaggle of like 20 year olds in those short shorts? Like, and of course we both did. And we like celebrated it, but it, it kind of makes me feel alive when my, when I catch him attracted to other people because it feels threatening. I'm very competitive. So suddenly, okay, now I have something to earn. Like I, I need to like prove myself, which does not yeah. feel bad to me. I like that feeling of like, Oh, you, you little hot thing. Think you're going to get this guy. Not that they're even interested or whatever, but I just, I like competition. It, um, it revs me up. And, and I also feel like if he wasn't attracted to them, 
there would be something wrong with his body. Like, I just don't, uh, he would, I would be like, you should go get a, a scan or something. Cause your, 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 your insides are not working uh-huh. correctly. So, you know, basically this is like the, the, the men are dogs type of principle. It's, it's kind of like on the outskirts of that, like the wandering eyes. No, well, you're not dogs, but you're animals. Of course you want to okay. have sex with things. Like that's just a, the, the way it is. They're denying that men are attracted to women other than the person they're with is you are one of the most stupid women in the world if you think that your husband is only attracted to you or that your boyfriend is only attracted to you. You're so dumb. You're so in denial. You probably believe in ghosts and uh, you know astrological signs. Not that that stuff might not. I'm open to those two things being true, but what I know for certain is that your boyfriend wants to fuck other people. He's not going to because he has integrity and because he you know, respects you and loves you and wants to retain the relationship. But there's no question he wants to put his dick in other things and that he is attracted to other things that aren't you. It's just the way it is. It's not because you're not enough. It's just the way it is. So denying that it seems delusional to me. Wow. Um, and I just don't deny it. It doesn't hurt my feelings. That is so profoundly comfortable for men to hear who were involved with you. That, that, that that's the, the reality you have understood. Well, no, it's not uncomfortable because he's free to do it and I'm not threatened by it. I'm not going to. No, it is comfortable for, it is comfortable the guy because he's not worried about you freaking out if he does it. Yeah. Oh no, there's no freaking out. There's, um, there's, there's horniness on the other side of it. Honestly, I get revved up when I see my guy like kind of taking interest in another girl's looks or something or being like, she looks good. Like, I'm always like, oh, okay. Like. You, your blood is pumping. There's something going on inside you. And it like, it really gets me jazzed up in in a way that almost nothing else does. I mean, maybe a a little like whisper behind the ear. That's a little hot, but like I get horny instantly when my boyfriend is horny for someone else. It's, it's a weird um, impulse that I have. That's so refreshing. Uh, Anyway, on the T on the TV show, welcome home, Nikki Glazer. You you know, the relationship has kind of played out a little bit and he looked a little less comfortable on that tv camera than you yeah because we were at a weird stage in our relationship where we had just started dating he's never been a front of the guy front of the camera guy and he didn't trust the reality show based on reality shows that we've watched to portray him correctly so he was just on guard the entire time and understandably so it was just we didn't really have control over it he it just wasn't an ideal situation we were also just at this you know, I, I pitched a reality show a year before it even started filming. So my life is incredibly different than the one that I pitched in the room to the network. So when we start filming, they're expecting it to be like a dating show. And I'm like, well, I kind of have a boyfriend right now, but it's kind of not my boyfriend and he doesn't want to be on camera. And they're like, well, then what is this show? So I had to really convince him. You got to be on camera. Like we got to play this out. So it's it's hard when you do a reality show. Like your family and friends don't necessarily want to be involved. And I didn't understand that. I'm like, doesn't everyone want to be on TV? <laughs> doesn't everyone crave the spotlight? And the answer is no. Some people are very comfortable without it. And I didn't really fully understand that. So um, yeah, but once he, once we did it, and we were like, man, we'd love to do another season. Cause now we're comfortable. And of course that's when you don't get picked up. So All right, let's, let's run down some of these things that you've done because I, I would welcome Nikki Glazer. And then the th- show I thought was hysterical was, was F boy Island, but also you did like yeah. many appearances on to tell the truth. And this show that I don't know what that F it is, the mass singer where, where you, you finished third. Like, I don't get that show at all. And then you did dance. Well, before it's pretty easy did, you, to understand. It, it's celebrities in costumes singing, and then people try to guess who they yeah, are. Yeah, well, the whole thing seems so 
freaking ridiculous to me. Like what? It's so ridiculous. It is an acid trip of a show. You feel it's an insane show. There's nothing like it. And um, I, I had never seen it before when I got asked to do it, but I do like singing. And I also like the idea of no one knowing who I am when I do it and not having to be in hair and makeup all day. And so I, I couldn't have signed up faster. But yes, it's, it's an insane show and you don't necessarily need to watch it. I don't think it's for you. It's like a kid's show. <laughs> uh, this Ken Jeong guy, like, I don't know. I, I, he bugs me for some reason. So I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the least annoying thing on that show by a landslide, too. I know, but somehow he bugs me. I don't, I don't know what it is. I get it. I mean, we can't, we can't, we don't know why certain people set us off, but it's, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so what, the, drop the mic. And yeah. you, you be a guy named Brad Williams. Now you're yeah. from St. Louis. Yeah, from mm-hmm. you're not from East St. Louis. So where's right. the, where's the rap thing come from? Drop the mic was a rap battle show uh, where comedian or just you know actors comedians ba- rap battle each other. I don't want to do this show. When I got asked, I said I don't want to be a white girl rapping on TV. This is so cringe. It's so just. It, uncomfortable. I've never rapped before. I I love rap and I admire rappers and I think that I've been heavily influenced by rap artists because they just speak the truth and they just are funny and rap is funny. So I think that it was an early influence. Like Eminem was a huge influence on me because he was just so filthy and hilarious. But when I got asked to do a show, I didn't want to do it. And this is the thing about this business is that I just can't turn down stuff because you don't know what is going to be the thing that people talk about or you just I want I just remember Joan Rivers saying she never says no to anything and that's not completely true for me I mean it is today because I'm here but I I don't I don't like to say yes to everything but I do like if something scares me I gotta say yes that is the true sign where it's like I'm scared of looking stupid how would I ever not do that then because it's going to be funny because I probably will look stupid and it will be a challenge and on the other side of it I will have less fear in my life if I do this rap show and then I survive that. Then what you know? What else can I do? I mean, doing Dancing with the Stars, I get first voted off, humiliating, not fun. But now I I'm free to do any show because nothing will ever be as embarrassing as losing on that show. I won the rap battle against a little person, Brad Williams, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, he beat um, Brad Williams. Yeah, and um. But it was uh, I forget who who, who um, guy from oh my god why can't I think of the band that he was the in oh my gosh Wu Tang Clan what's his name the the main guy from Wu Tang Clan was the um, host and he crowned me the winner so it was very exciting was it Rizzo and, no it no? was um, Method Man tra- Method Man Method okay. Man crowned me the winner yeah and so that was nice for him to even acknowledge me so but I ju- I just say yes to everything because it's <laughs> the only reason I'm a comedian is because I was scared to do it. And I said, you know what? This is dumb. You're going to miss out on maybe something that could be fun because you're scared, you little baby. Like, I'm a very scared person. I'm very, I had a lot of anxiety. And um, I use that to kind of guide what I say yes to. Well, and that's really interesting. You, you were scared because your style is like, like way out there and you're, you're out on the, on the edge all the time. Um, yeah. so, so like, let me give you, here's the, here's the quintessential Nikki Glazer. Your timing is impeccable. Mm-hmm. So you go, um, uh, here's my advice to guys, uh, stick to the clit and then you get the reaction from the crowd and then you go, oh, I know that's gross. Stick is a terrible word. Like the, the time, like people are at least expecting and you bang in with that. 
which is great. <laughs> I love this great sense of timing that, that had developed. So, so tell me yeah. how you developed the style and the timing. I think I was thinking about this yesterday because I've always been told I have good timing and always been told I was a good comedic actress, even when I was in plays in high school. I really think it comes from obsessively watching Seinfeld, Friends, and um, and Conan growing up. I was just obsessed with, you know, comedy. And so I just watched it all the time and would watch, you know, jokes over and over and tape them. Like, I just remember a certain joke on Friends that I saw in sixth grade where it was like, you know, Monica looks really fat on a VHS they're watching. And she's like, well, the camera adds 10 pounds. And Matthew Perry says, uh, how many cameras were on you? And like that, I remember just really focusing on that joke and being like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Let me not just say that's funny and repeat it. Let me study why that's funny and the, and the timing of it. I just, I absorb things very easily. So things that I admire, I quickly pick up on. So I think I've just been imitating what I admire my whole life. So did you know you were funny early? Because you know, like, no. you, you tell the story about how nerdy you were and this and that. Yeah. Like, but, you know, that you had to be funny. I was funny. I, I'm better at knowing what is funny than being funny is what I believe. I am really good at knowing what's the funniest thing and saying, I want to do something like that and picking up. I'm not. Uh, I, I think that was it. Like, I, I had the funniest friends. I still do. I just went on a, a vacation with my 10 best girlfriends. Three of them are from my, you know, fourth grade and on. And they're the funniest people. And I know every comedian always says, I'm the least funny of all my friends. Truly, I have the funniest friends that are just, you know, she's a Pilates instructor in Kansas City. She's one of the funniest people that's ever been. And I just observed her. And I picked up mannerisms from my friends, from TV, from my boyfriend. Like, I pick up anything that's funny about someone around me. I go, oh, that's a really funny way to talk. Or that's a funny word to use. And I don't actually intentionally do it but i think i'm just a a goulash of everyone that i am around i just absorb things i am like a sponge i think i have low self-esteem i grew up feeling nerdy and alone and kind of embarrassed of who i was and didn't really like who i was so i think i just paid attention to things i admired and was like i want to be like that and so i ended up being a unique person and a unique artist by picking up things from many different sources that like made me who I am. Like I, I, I sound like the people I'm fans of and now I kind of know who I am. So I'm able to tap into what's funny about me, but I never thought of myself as I've always just been smart. And I hate saying that I'm not like one of the smartest people, but I'm pretty intelligent and I think very quickly and I'm able to synthesize things quickly. I'm able to, you tell me if something's funny, it sticks it, in my brain forever and I don't forget it. And so I think I'm smarter than I am funnier. Wait, I'm smarter than I am funny. Well, you gotta, I mean, listen, you gotta be smart to be yes, funny. Yes, I agree. So, so here's, here's the thing with you, because you, you do this, you, you talk about the badge a lot mm -hmm. and you talk in particular about yours. Mm -hmm. So like, where, where's, where's the humor? Where do you find the humor in the badge? Well, I find the humor in there. First of all, Anything that you're not supposed to talk about is funny because it's inherently a shock and it's a surprise, which equals funny. Like anything that we don't normally talk about is going to be funny. So I'm already – that's why they say, you know, female comics are – you know, we shouldn't 
but that's why people write off comedians in general who talk about sex because it's such an easy topic to go to. Anything you say about sex is going to be funny because it's taboo because taboo is funny. So starting from that point of view, it's like it's already funny. But I think that um, I don't know. I just I I go after subject matter that other people are uncomfortable with because I think that I just I hate to say that I'm doing comedy because I have this, you know, I'm a martyr and I'm trying to uh, relieve, relieve shame from people. But that really is kind of what it's about is that I just like talking about things on stage that I have felt shame about or that maybe someone in the audience might feel shame about. And if I share this shameful story or this way, talk about the way my vagina looks or the way that something about me that I don't like, then maybe I will feel less alone with it because people will laugh and, and I can tell in their laughter that they're relating to it. Or someone in the audience might feel less alone about their the way they feel about themselves. And it just that makes me feel good because I just grew up hating literally everything about myself and still to this day struggle with a lot of self-loathing. And comedy really helps me relieve that. Um, well, yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to ask this particular specific question, mm-hmm. but I have to. Um, your, your labia is in much better shape than you describe, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I describe my vagina as like a hastily packed suitcase, but I mean, it's not like th- there's you don't realize how much vaginas all look different until you start watching porn. And then you that's kind of one vagina you see. It's not really representative of how a lot of vaginas look. But until you go, you get naked with all of your best girlfriends and you guys show each other your vaginas, you really don't understand the scope of how different vaginas can look. And that was a very freeing thing to me to realize that just because my vagina doesn't look like a perfect just little line down the front, like a five-year-old's vagina, that it's okay. That's actually kind of normal. And um, And as soon as I was okay with that in my heart and I didn't feel ashamed about it because I knew it wasn't that weird – I was like, I got to tell everyone because I know there's so many women out there who hate their vaginas because they, they, they don't understand that it's so normal. So if I'm really, you know, proud of mine not being perfect, then maybe other women won't feel ashamed of theirs. It's kind of like the Lizzo thing. Like Lizzo loves her body. There's a lot of women with Lizzo's body that hate their bodies. And I think Lizzo, by celebrating hers, makes women that might otherwise cover up and feel ashamed go, actually, if Lizzo can feel really sexy about her body, why can't I feel sexy about mine? And I think I do that with vagina, body stuff, or just like the dark thoughts you have. Like I am really ashamed of some of the thoughts I have. And then I say them on stage and people laugh and I go, oh, you think that too? Okay, maybe I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> we're, we're talking to Nikki later. She's great. Nikki. I'm Lizzo for vaginas <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, before I get to, to, the, to the tour, which is the, continues into Europe, uh, amazingly enough, I just have to ask you a question about Boy Island, which I, uh, which I, I couldn't, keep, I couldn't uh-huh. tear my eyes away from it. Now, and I'm looking at it as a guy and I'm going, these guys couldn't be more of a jerk off. Now, was that in reality or or was this played up? You know, it's always played up because you're in you're on a reality show and we are forced these people to not interact with anyone except these men. So you don't really have options to consider like that they might be douchey compared to like a normal guy because you all you have to compare them to is other douches. So you're kind of stuck being like, well, this is these are my options and they are hot and they are you know, insanely confident, some of them. And that's really all you need to be attractive is confidence. So those guys have this like 
delusional confidence about themselves. Plus they work on their bodies constantly. So they're not bad to look at. So their personalities being, you know, less than desirable. It doesn't even factor in. We don't care that they're douches. And, and then the gameplay comes in and you just want to win. So there's, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy place for people to actually fall in love and convince themselves they actually want to be with these people. So it's not fake. It's really, these people really fall in love. And I even got tricked by it. I mean, I didn't fall in love with anyone, but I would be a champion of some of these guys that were just horrible people. I find out and lying the whole time. And I even got tricked by it. So it's, um, it's a, it's a really fun show because it's, Whatever you're watching is is actually happening. It's it's really not played up for TV as much as you think. I thought I was going to get behind the scenes and go, oh, my God, reality TV is fake. But instead, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is more real than I ever thought. Yeah, I, it was it, it got me and I couldn't tear away from it. Uh, Mickey Glazer, the Good Girl, to Girl Tour uh, in Bethlehem, yes. April 14th, 8 o'clock at the Wind Creek Event Center. And then just let me go through the rest of the tour here. You're, you're in New Hampshire for a couple gigs. Uh-huh. And then you you go across the country to Tucson, and then here's Las Vegas. Now David Spade with guest Nikki Glaser, and I'm going. You know, all disrespect, David Spade. You, you might be bigger than David Spade right now. So you know, I I understand. I under there are people, but David Spade is the goat to me. I am so excited about the show these runs in Vegas because I get to watch my favorite comedian. He's he's not only one of my best friends. He's just the funniest person I will ever meet ever, ever it, that anyone will meet. He's the funniest person in person in in conversation on stage. I'm obsessed with him. He's been a huge influence. So I, you know, we were talking about like, who's going to go first. And I go, well, what do you mean? I'm not <laughs> following you. I, I don't even care if I could, I want to just, yeah. I want to do my set. And then I want to sit on the side of the stage and enjoy the show. Like I get to go, see my favorite show while performing on it and getting paid. So I'm, I'm so excited about those. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then Ger- Germany, Austria, Netherlands, Finland, Israel, Greece. Yes. I don't know what it's my agents are thinking. Um, <laughs> it's a world. I think I'm going to 14 cities in like 15 days in Europe. It's, it's freaking nuts. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing my boyfriend and my best friend. And uh, she's opening for me and we're just going to run around Europe and not see any of it. Cause I have no time. I think I'm going to take a little trip to Paris at the end of it and hang out. But um, I don't even know if Europe likes me. Now, that, now that's first of all, it's a great trip, but would you, would you have to alter your material for, for, for foreigners? I'll find out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. I'm guessing these people wouldn't just come see someone who doesn't speak their language. So I'm guessing they speak English. So let, I'm just starting from that point of view. I'm going to have to change some of my references. Like you can't reference like Walgreens or target or like, I don't know, subway. I don't even know what they have over there. So I'll do my research. I'll write some new jokes based on where I'm at, but yeah, those shows are a really grab bag of uh, are they going to be fun or not? I'm sure they will be, but because people are so excited to have Americans come and perform for them. So I think they they actually appreciate it more than maybe Americans do. Um, but it's definitely going to be a struggle and something that, I've, you know, maybe we'll never do again. <laughs> well, listen, hey, God bless you for taking that challenge. God bless you and, and best Thank of you. luck with it. And, and best of luck with the tour. And uh, remember the fracking situation up in Bethlehem. So I will. Thank uh, you. Thank you for that line. All right. So, Nikki, great to talk to you. Let's uh, let's talk down the road. You're the best. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
All righty, the Mike Misnelli Podcast Comedy Show uh, continues today with our next guest, a local comedian who's a major comedian in, in America, and he's going to be at Park Casino tomorrow night. Uh, he's got a, a, a gig at Soul Joel's in Pottstown. I've been to Soul Joel's before. He, of course, is the great Marlton Shawnee graduate, Jay Black. Jay, what's up? Well, I, I got to say, Mike, very nice to be here with you. I'm a Cherokee graduate. I taught at Shawnee. Oh, it's not Shawnee. It's Cherokee? No, no, no. Do I look like a snob to you? Oh, wait a minute. I thought both those schools were kind of snobby. No, Mario, Turkey is down to earth, very nice people. Shawnee, everybody comes to school in a hovercraft. They are very, very snobby and rich, not like us Cherokee. You got to explain the distinction with the, the suburban whiteness of Shawnee and Cherokee, please. <laughs> please, I, I want to hear. I want to hear about this. Is, is there an Olive Garden like inside both those high schools? Well, at Shawnee, there is an Olive Garden inside of Bertucci's. That is how good they are. <laughs> uh, at uh, Cherokee, occasionally they'll throw some uh, pastrami at you. That's as close as we get. Uh, all right. So, of course, uh, you've heard Jay uh, as a regular guest on uh, Angela Catelli's show for for many years. Now he, he's got a little podcast going. Uh, with, with Angelo and Rhea Hughes. First, the, the, tell us about the, the, the Angelo experience. Now now that he's gone, we've had him on. We did a podcast with him, and we've had Rhea on. Of course, they're both in my history. Uh, tell us a little bit about that whole thing and the podcast you do now with those guys. Yeah, so I was doing the TV segment with him every Friday. I was a writer for AOL for a long time doing TV reviews and columns and that sort of thing. He invited me on because he heard me on Big Daddy, and for about 12 years, uh, I had been coming on and just talking TV with him. And this guy, more than anybody else I've ever met, uh, this guy loves TV. Angelo is a TV-aholic. And uh, as he was kind of finishing up shop with uh, WIP, I said, hey, uh, do you want to take this TV segment, expand it out to a full uh, you know, podcast? And uh, he came back immediately and was like, yes. You know, and he was watching nine hours a day when he was on IP. So I don't know. I mean, he's got to be like 16, 17 hours of TV a day now. It's just amazing how much this guy knows about TV. Uh, all right. So that's uh, that's really cool. I mean, uh, first of all, Angelo, like when I did the podcast with him, and of course, I've known him for years and worked with him in newspapers and the whole bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that people were delighted to hear is that he he was a real person. Like for all these years. Like the perception was he's not real. And, and, and now so they're they're flabbergasted, but that he can be real. And I assume that in talking about TV, he presents a real side. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is a real human being who is not just an opinion generator. But that said, as a real human being, he holds very hard opinions on things. I think that's what made him such a successful radio guy. Is, uh, you know, Big Daddy Graham once told me uh, the key to being a good radio guy is if I woke you up in the middle of the night and said George is the most underrated Beatle, before you even woke up, you would explain why it was Paul. You know what I mean? Like you would just have an opinion ready to go. And that's that's what Angelo has is, you know, he, he's got these TV shows that he watches and it's very binary. He'll come in and go, it stinks or it's the greatest show ever. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I get a lot of people listening to the podcast who, who will write me going, I don't even like TV. I just want to hear Angelo again. And I'm like, as long as you're listening, that's fine by me. Uh, of course, you can go to Jay Black TV to see uh, whatever uh, Jay is up to. Now, um, first of all, Jay, you were a guest. I did a show. Of, I don't know how many people remember it. I thought it was good. 
but it was called the Philly guys. And I, I was like the, yeah. uh, a morning jock. First time I had been in a morning jock radio doing, uh, playing songs and the whole bit and, and, and trying to engage in commentary. And, you know, they were so misguided. They, they, they fucking hired Preston and Steve who only had like 25 years of success after us. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you were a guest on that show, right? Yeah. Early on, I was just a little baby comedian. I don't even know how I even got attached with you guys. But you were doing this thing where you bring comics on to do their comedy in the morning in sort of like a, a contest. You remember this? Yes. No? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember. And this was like probably a Conklin idea. Right. Yep. It was a probably Conklin idea. And uh, I, maybe that's how I got on. It was through Big Daddy, through Conklin, something like that. But uh, you you brought me on and I had to call out sick because I was a high school teacher at the time. And I was like, I hope no one listens to this on the way in. Or if they do, I'll just pretend there's another Jay Black in the area. Uh, but I came on. I did my act, which was as dirty as you could possibly be at 730 in the morning. And uh, it got through. I think there was an Eagles win the night before. And everybody called in and said, I really like that Jay Black. And you were like, well, that's great. You're the first one to ever get passed on through. You'll be back on the show. And then I never was. So it took about 20 years, but here I am with you again. Yeah, we, we used to have uh, comics on, and uh, we had Eddie Izzard on once, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, yeah. That was a big, big get. So so Eddie Izzard comes on, and he's, he's talking nonsense. And, and Conklin blurts out, when are you going to say something funny? <laughs> and Israel got all offended and he goes why well, you haven't said anything funny you're supposed to come on you're supposed to be a comedian you haven't said anything funny and, and so like Eddie Izzard hangs up on us and uh <laughs> and well, Rogan comes well, I got to do a beef with Rogan because he was you know he was like so obnoxious but yeah yeah we would do that uh, time to time and, and so it was comforting to know that that you were on but you did not save the the show like you know a year and a half later we were gone and I was back. It would have been the- funny if I did save the show. Like if they were like, wow, that one comic you had on for a six minute segment, we got to keep you on for another three years. Uh, that said, I, I love that I came up in Philly because that is such a Philly story with that Eddie Izzard thing. Like say something funny. You're not funny. Stop being funny. I go all over the world. And the one thing I'll notice is Philly and Boston have one thing in common that nowhere else does. Everybody else comes with their arms open to a show. And if they're you're bad, they close their arms up and go, you were bad. Philly and Boston, the only two towns you go to where they come with their arms folded at the beginning. And if you're good, they will open your arms. But they come in going, you probably suck. And you're like, but you paid for the ticket. Why do you think I suck already? Uh, but that sort of attitude is like two bats in the on-deck circle for any other place that you could possibly go. You know, you get heckled in Indiana. You're like, oh, aren't you cute? Unless you have a lit cigarette you try to put out on me, you're not as bad as anybody I've dealt with in Philly. We're talking to uh, comedian Jay Black. Now, Jay, uh, you know, this story is pretty amazing. Here you are, uh, an English teacher uh, at Shawnee, right? At at Shawnee. And and all of a sudden, you make a left turn and you you venture into this deep, dark, uncertain world of stand-up comedy. I'm curious how and why you made that decision because it ain't easy to do what you do with, with all the competition out there to, to get noticed and the whole bit. Sure. Well, I, you know, I was, uh, I started doing comedy cause I met a girl and I wanted to impress her and I didn't think it was going to happen with my body or the amount of money I was making as a second year English teacher. Uh, so I went to an open mic and it went pretty well. 
And uh, five years later, what I did was I, I went to a, uh, a college conference. And what happens is these colleges pay you way more money than, than clubs. And I walked out with like two years worth of teaching money on contract. You know, like, so I had two years where it wasn't going to uh, be uh, something I needed to really worry about. So I was like, all right, I'll take the plunge. Now, the girl that I tried to impress became my wife. And I, I put in my resignation and literally two weeks later, she walked out with a uh, pregnancy test that was positive, that turned into my son. Now, I often think if those two things had been flip-flop, if she had gotten pregnant before I turned in my resignation, uh, I would be on here talking about English teaching with you and not stand-up comedy because I never would have taken the plunge. But, uh, you know, it's real hard to go to your in-laws and your parents who, you know, your your wife, my wife married an English teacher. You know, you could set your watch to that schedule. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw that all away and talk about my penis in public for money. So let's go see how that works out. Uh, so every year when I make the money I would have made as an English teacher, uh, I have a little party for myself. Sometimes that party is in March. Sometimes it's in late December. But so far, so good. All right, so so the early days when you when you stick your foot into the water, yeah, because you're gonna be really secure. There's some things that don't work, and there's some small houses you play, and uh, and a lot of you have to get pushed past that. Like, describe how that happened for you. So what happens is it's you got to get a, a callus over your soul, Mike. Is is really what it is. It's everybody's funny when they're hanging out with their friends. And the problem is, is that you're with the difference is when you're with your friends, you don't care if a joke doesn't fly or not. Right. Because if your friends say, oh, that sucked, you go, yeah, it did suck. And you continue unless you're Eddie Izzard, at which point you hang up. Uh, but if you're with a group of strangers and it doesn't fly, your initial response is to get all nervous and your stomach starts to hurt. and You don't know quite what to say. And in the, the standard comedian handbook says it takes about 10 years to get your legs, meaning you get to the point where you've done so many shows, you stop caring as to whether or not the audience uh, likes you or not. And it's not like you ever really stop caring because you wouldn't do this if you didn't need that love desperately from strangers. Um, but you stop worrying that one show is going to define you. And the second you stop worrying as to whether or not they're going to laugh, this like door opens up and they start to laugh a lot more. So it's just getting your reps in, get failing in public over and over again is the key to becoming a good stand up. All right. So the, the, now let's go into this area because I, I, the notion to the public is that you comedians are all bonded and you're all together and you're really you're rooting for each other. But I have yeah. to look at it like, man, there's got to be a lot of backstabbing in here. I had that guy get that gig and I didn't. I'm funnier than that guy and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, is the is it that's is that the reality or is it the other way? And and as a piggyback to that, describe some of the good people that influenced you and helped you along or you got along with, and some of the jerk offs. Sure. Okay. So I first point is it's both. We are bonded. We call people who aren't comedians civilians because we're awful people, <clears throat> and we are also backstabbing. And desperate to get a, a move up on people. It's, it's like a collection of Black Widow spiders. You know what I mean? Like we're all just trying to get uh, forward. That said, we're Black Widow spiders who are in it together, if that makes any sense to mm -hmm. you. Because nobody else kind of knows what we go through. So, yeah, you don't get into this business if you're not insecure and desperate to move up. 
But on the other hand, you're in it with all these other desperate, insecure people. And even though you want to do better than everybody else on the show, you're still bonded with them beyond, uh, you know, anybody else. They're they're your family. It's just, you know what it's like? It's like being in a big Italian family where everybody's an alcoholic Uh, or, you know what I mean? Like you love each other. And you fight with each other, but it's it's you against the world ultimately. So I think that's really how it is among uh, comedians. Uh, the people who helped me, I got two stories with this. One is uh, Big Daddy Graham. Early on, um, you know, I, he he was we we all love Big Daddy, and he was a guy who uh, very early said, "You're pretty good. You're going to open for me. You're going to come on to my show." And you know, so far as getting me a leg up in Philly. Uh, two guys did it. The your show, Mike, on WMMR, and Big Daddy Graham got me settled in Philly. Uh, yeah. And the second one is a guy named Jim Norton. You know Norton? Oh yeah. Have you? Uh-huh. So you know he's got a real rep for being a guy who you know he talks about sex and you know he's a he's a shock comic and uh, he was an Opie and Anthony guy. And uh, I was performing on a show with him. It was a Memorial Day weekend. I was on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I had fought for months to get a guest spot in front of the owner. And uh, I was on early show Friday. I get up early show Friday. I have a great set. I walk off. I'm backstage with the owner and Jim Norton, and I'm waiting for the owner to say something to me. And the owner goes, oh, right, that was today. Oh, I'll get you on in another couple of months, and and I'll watch you then because you never saw me. And Norton was like, that's bullshit. Jay, you were good. You're going to be on the second show. So I get on the second show. In the meantime, they fired the MC because Norton was recording an album and the MC forgot to press record. So they fired the MC. <laughs> Saturday, they go, Jay, do you want to MC? Jim has requested you to MC the show. So now I've gone from a guest set to an MC. Not making any of this up. Saturday, in between the first show and second show, the feature's dad gets sick and he has to drive to Minnesota. So the owner goes, oh, you know what? I'll get you a feature from the city. And Norton goes, no, Jay's been doing great. Jay, you're going to be feature on Sunday. So I go from a six-minute spot that nobody saw to making a couple of hundred bucks as the featured opener for Jim Norton. So I come in, and I'm I'm very like, I don't know what to say. And he goes, uh, Jay, in this business, everyone tries to fuck you. Everyone. The managers, the uh, the the agents, the club owners, and the sad part is mostly the comics try to do it to you as well. So don't tell anybody this story because it'll make me look like a good guy, and I, I can't. It'll hurt my reputation. But pay this forward. Don't be a guy who fucks other comics. Try to be a good guy, and I try to keep that in my head all the time. And I just betrayed him by letting everybody know what a good guy he is. So I'm sorry, Jim, if you're listening. Uh, all right. So I, you know, I know there are, uh, there are probably some JOs out there that you probably don't want to expose or, <laughs> oh, the J- or, or, or right. do you want to or you do want to stab somebody right now uh no i don't you listen I'll, I'll say this we were just talking about this early on you you meet like your your graduating class of like open micers that like you start with some of those guys are going to go on and do great things some of those guys are going to go on and do nothing most of the ones who were jos with me have gone on to do nothing so there's nothing i can do that fate already hasn't done to them <laughs> All right. So how do you write? Because, you know, you what did you figure out was funny? You you, you talk about family a lot. Talk about your wife a lot. Sure. Uh, pop culture. You throw in politics. You talk about being a dad, the, the whole bit. So w- where did you find the niche on what you thought they would think was funny? So, I mean, the the relationship stuff always works. And that pisses my wife off to no end, Mike. 
Like when I'm talking about how hard it is to uh, find time to be intimate with three kids and the audience starts laughing, my wife is like, it's not like we don't do it. I'm like, we just don't do it enough, sweetie. That's what I'm saying. And everybody in this room can relate to it. And that's why they're laughing. So uh, it's, you know, the, the, the stuff that's universal uh, and it's weird because like comedy does sort of become your lingua franca with the world, right? It's like, what is the stuff that in, is in my brain that makes sense to other people? Well, you can ask them if it makes sense and they could maybe lie to you. But if you say a joke and they laugh, it means that they actually understand this thing that you're going through because it, it relates to them on sort of a, a, a non-thinking level. Uh, but the relationship stuff, the kid stuff, um, you know, the, the politics is tricky. I try not to do a lot of politics in my act, especially now, because you never know when somebody's going to put on a red hat and take out a gun. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get murdered for a Trump joke if I can help it. Uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I, I have found the stuff that everybody has, which is a family, uh, insecurity, uh, wife and kids, uh, that that's the stuff that works best. All right. So, um, writing new material and, and I assume that, you know, to, uh, tomorrow uh, at parks, there is a certain theme to your act. Can you give me a little tip off without actually, uh, uh giving me the act? Well, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little tip off. I have been writing a lot about the fact that I have three kids now, and I, I do have a thing in there about how hard it is to find time to have sex with your wife. Um, you know, it's not, I feel like I'm not even married. I feel like I'm just uh, roommates with the other babysitter. Um, but, uh, you know, every once in a while, the, the youngest will be like on, like asleep, and the other two will be on the iPad, and my wife will look over at me and go, I think we got about three minutes. Do you wanna? And I'm like, yeah, I actually do wanna. That would be great. And uh, she'll say the words, Mike, as a married man, I've been waiting my whole life to hear, which are, can you be quick? And I'm like, can I? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I've been training my whole life for this. In fact, I'm already done. You take a knee, grab a Gatorade. I'm good to go, baby. Thanks for the uh, the experience. So yeah, that just a lot of stuff about that. A lot of stories about being married and 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 having kids and uh, stuff. I hope everybody can relate to. Uh, it sounds funny. Now, uh, Darren Degatano is my producer, and you guys went to high school together. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what, was Darren a cool kid or not? And what were you? Were you a cool kid? Like, give me the dynamic between you know the the white kids. Well, <laughs> so. <yeah. laughs> I will not stand for this racism, Mike Missinelli. Uh So I, you know, we weren't all that super close in high school. You know, Darren was kind of a nerd who didn't hang out with the uh, Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons kids that I hung out with. You know, the the super hot, cool kids like me. I was football player, yeah, yeah, a nerd. You know, that me and the D and D kids would get together. We would roll our die twenty and go, "Oh, you didn't, you failed your critical role. We got to make fun of Darren." I love self-deprecating humor. He's always funny, always self-deprecating, which is a great trait to have as a as the one the kind of guy you make fun of. Yeah, listen, <laughs> here's the thing: if I had had uh, friends in high school, I would not be a comedian today. So it all worked out for me, as it you know. <laughs> Awesome. All right, so Parks Casino tomorrow night. And then, like, this is insanity. I'm looking at the tour. You going on the Myrtle Beach tour? I mean, what the F? What is that? It's like 100 dates in Myrtle Beach? Yeah, so here's how that worked out. I was filming a movie down there. Uh, the, it's coming out on Lifetime. It's a uh, – it's, so check this out, Mike. 
Have you ever been to Myrtle Beach in July? Yes. There's there's no okay. It is 132 degrees. It is. I played golf at 120 yeah. degrees down. 400 percent humidity. People have walked off the plane from Africa, turned around, gotten back on the plane, and left because it was too <laughs> hot. It is the most hot, humid place a human being can experience. And I was down there. The movie took place in uh the northeast in the fall. So I had all of my actors like in like hunting vests and sweaters in the Myrtle Beach heat. If you watch that movie, every single person looks like that they're on the verge of heat stroke and they're going to die. So uh, if you ever want to see a Lifetime movie filled with people who have no liquid in their body, uh, you got to watch it. That said, when I was down there, I wound up doing a guest spot at the local comedy club and they were like, you should come back in April. And I said, yes, I will, because as Big Daddy taught me, take every buck you can find. There are far worse places for a gig than Myrtle Beach. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a bad gig, so <laughs> it, it'll be fun. Stay in the air conditioning. You, you play golf at all? Or you get a, I don't. Know. No, it's I'm I'm going to go down. My family's going to come down, so the only game I'm going to play is exhaustion. Oh, they're not. So you're not going to any strip clubs? So they're like a, there's like 150 down there. Are there? I had no idea. Oh uh, uh, yeah, it's strip club capital of the world. Oh well, see, here's the thing. I work night. That my family doesn't know what time I get home. I'll be able to <laughs> stop it. It'll be research for my next movie, Diary of a of a Stripper. Go in for lunch, Jay. Just grab lunch in one of those joints, and you know. And here's the thing: I have a seven year old daughter, so like I'm in the perfect position to have glitter on me with a good excuse, <laughs> right? Because a lot of times that's how you get you come in. You go, "Why are you covered in glitter?" And you go, "Because I was doing macaroni necklaces with our daughter. That's why." <laughs> also, I was at a strip club having the lasagna. All right, so tell the people how they can see the gig that you do with Angelo and Rhea. You just go to jblack.tv. That's J-A-Y-B-L-A-C-K.tv. It's all over that website. It's called The TV Show. We do it every Wednesday. Uh, pops up Thursday morning. Uh, come on, it's a lot of fun. If you miss Angelo, it's uh, it's a good way to get that little dose of his opinions. He hasn't slowed down a bit. Jay Black, tomorrow, uh, Thursday night, Parks Casino, uh, have a great show, Jay. Have a great tour. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Mike, I got to be honest. I'm a big fan of yours, and this is a big deal that I got to be on here. I really appreciate you having me. Oh, that's so flattering. Nobody ever says that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean it. It's the Mike Yosinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Nikki Glazer and Jay Black. Uh, Nikki's just a hoot, man. I <laughs> just love her style. Uh, and that European tour should be very interesting. I'll have these these people in the Netherlands hear the Nikki Glazer joke about the badge, and they go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there. But anyway, it is time for Mike Unleashed. Now, Mike Unleashed is going to be very simple today because apparently I got myself in some hot water. Uh, I was uh, like a uh, subject of a, of a Twitter feud where people were coming at me left and right. Let me tell you something. I got some raunch tweets from people. And I'm going, my God, did I offend these people? I, and, and what? here's what I did. So let me give you the genesis of my 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 thing with, with Darius Slay. So so Slay has been nonstop on social media about about this or that. And uh, and so, like, uh, he comes out the other day with uh, how he was almost ready to sign with the Ravens and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, yeah, I'm kind of tired of the Slay thing. All right, he's back. That's all good. So I go, I'm getting a little tired of Slay. You? Meaning I threw it out as a question to people for them to say, no, I'm not tired of Slay, or yes, I am tired of Slay. 
All of a sudden, it turned into like I'm attacking Darius Slay, and these people are coming out of the woodwork attacking me. You're a loser. That's why you've been fired. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're the most hated man in the court. My God, what is this guy? Your brother? Does he live in your bunk bed or on the top in your bedroom in your house? It's a professional athlete. Criticism is legit. This is what I do for a living. I'm an analyst. I don't wave a pom-pom. And so I get it. And most of the people who are doing it were younger people. I mean, you could tell their profile they're younger and they're they're still fanboys. And that and that's great. But then Slay gets involved, right? And so here's what Slay tweeted. Never heard of you. So you must be very ass at your job. Now I'm going, dude, you're a starting quarterback in the NFL. You're you're making a lot of money. They should sign you a contract. You should be happy. Why would you give one thought about what I had to say? And then it dawned on me that maybe he's feeling a little insecure because I also mentioned that when people were coming at me, he didn't have a great year last year. He made the Pro Bowl and he shouldn't have made the Pro Bowl. He had a mediocre year last year. And I know that because we watched every play. We did a post-game show, and Seth Joyner had the same opinion, and, and Derek Gunn had the same opinion, and, and Devin Katie had the same opinion. He, he had the back nine games were not that great for Slay. So all of a sudden, he's, he's starting to come at me. And when a player comes at me, then everybody latches on because they want to be his buddy, right? So so here's, here's what I would say. Like, when you have to tell people, that you were good at your job, you probably feel sensitive you, that you weren't that good at your job. And maybe he's feeling a little insecure because I hit I hit a nerve and he didn't have a great year. So what I hope is he has a great year. But what I also hope is he spends less time worrying about me and more time thinking about having a better year than he had last year. I mean, that's the bottom line. The Eagles, frankly, were willing to let him go. They made Bradbury a priority. Now, I applaud them. For, for circling back and get and finding a way to get it done. But the reason why they were able to do that is because the CJ Gardner Johnson stuff broke down. So all of a sudden it went back to slay. I'm just giving you honest facts here. Okay. I'm not trying to cause a war. My job is if you play well, you get praised. If you're a little, you know, out of line because you're not that playing that well, then I have a right to criticize you. So all these people, listen, I, I didn't insult your brother. I didn't insult your cousin. My God. I mean, it's legitimate criticism. Grow the F up, would you please? All right. I had nothing to do, by the way, uh, with, with the Eagles deciding that they may have cut him or, or deciding to, to make Bradbury a, a priority. That wasn't me. I wasn't helping Howie Roseman on that deal. So uh, that, there's that. Darren, your thoughts. Darren, all of a sudden, Darren texts me. He goes, you shouldn't get into a pissing war with Slay. It's not worth it. Everything I do is worth it. Do you understand? This is what I do. Do you think I would be afraid of getting into a fight with anybody? Come on, man. That's not why I texted you. I just said there's nothing good that could come out of it. Although we were always taught. Well, well, yes, good. Content. You know what's good? Content. That's what's good. Maybe. But I mean, and then and the other thing is I don't care about little fights like this. You think I'm gonna lose sleep because Darius Slay said I'm ass at my job? No, absolutely not. And that's not why I said it. First of all, you know what I say, Darius Slay? Here's what I say, Darius Slay. Google me. That's what I <laughs> here's what I'd rather say. I here's what I like to bring up because I th- I love the one thing you said about these fanboys. They drive me nuts. The 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 common eagle fan. It's really, it's really like touching on 
the the level of the flyer Stepford fans that we used to deal with back in the nineties and the early two thousands. Like they can, this team could do no wrong. God <laughs> yes. forbid. It's like it's like it's like Barry Slay's going to tuck him in at night or or send him a Christmas card. He ain't doing any of that. I, that's what bothers me about a lot of young fans nowadays. They're not tough. They're, they're a lot, there's a lot of homerism going on, and I get it. I love the Eagles too. Uh, particularly when I was younger, I get that. But if you don't criticize a team, why should they even fix themselves? Why should they even improve? Why should they even put a better product out there? If a guy, you got to, yeah. these guys got to know if a guy has a bad year or he's having a bad season, which Slay did in the second half, you and I talked about it all year. Uh, he was leaking oil since the second half of the season. Then call him on it. God forbid you call a player on it who's making, you know, Millions. And now I'm the problem, and he incites the masses against me. All right, well, we'll find out. I hope you have a better year. But guess what? If you don't, this ass is going to be all over you. <laughs> all, right. all right, so that's the Mike Vicinelli podcast for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks to Nikki. Thanks to Jay Black. Uh, thanks to the people watching this. Again, you can subscribe very easily to the Mike Vicinelli podcast. He did. First of all, it's accessible. Uh, Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, Amazon, Google, anywhere you get your podcast, access it. And subscribe. It'll come directly to you. You can email me. Listen, you want to keep talking about Slay? That's fine. Mike at MikeMiss.com. That's my website, MikeMiss.com. So you can email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. Or check me out on Twitter at MikeMiss25. Everybody, have a great rest of the week. We're coming at you next week with a couple fresh podcasts. It's the Mike Missnelli Podcast. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missnelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.